want to invite you to join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We pray that as we dive into your word, Lord, you will lead us and guide us. And having led us and guided us, you will find us to be receptive to your truth. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know all of you are envious of my orange sweater. I am happy to recommend to you my haberdasher if you are interested in getting one for yourself, Steve. You've all heard, if you have paid attention in your ancient history classes, you've all heard of the Emperor Nero. Nero was an interesting guy. He was extravagant by all reports. He used taxpayer money to support his personal art projects. He became unpopular with the ruling class because he was diminishing the the stature of the emperor and the office of emperor by his antics. He murdered his mom. He murdered his stepbrother. There are still questions surrounding whether or not he was responsible for the great fire of Rome in AD 64. Whether he was responsible for the fire or not, he chose to blame Christians for the fire to um, kind of uh, deflect blame from himself. During the process of that particular episode of persecution, hundreds of Christians were killed. Many were crucified. Some were used as food for beasts in the Roman arena. He was, generally speaking, a not very pleasant fellow, but he was also emperor of Rome. (coughs) F.J.A. Hort, a British theologian in the 1800s, said this, There could be few rulers indeed whose claims on loyalty could be sustained by less personal merit than Nero. And what is interesting to me about Nero is that it was to Christians living under that kind of ruler that the Apostle Peter wrote the passage that we're going to dissect in a few minutes this morning. Words to provide Christians, believers in Jesus, with the what's and the how's of our relationship to government. The political season is upon us, if you have not noticed. If you have not noticed, I do not know where you have been, but the political season is upon us. The polling date for the national election is November 3rd. Uh, Pastor Laura and I have already voted. We voted early. Uh, Our our policy is to go early and often. But in order to get us ready for this political season, I thought we would talk a little bit today about our relationship with government and view it from within a Christian worldview. Because the, the theory is, anyways, that our belief in Jesus is supposed to impact every aspect of our lives, that we see Reality, we see our responsibilities in every arena, personal, family, employment, and relationship to government through this lens of a Christian worldview. I've talked about this a little bit before. I have noticed in our culture, in our day and time, we have a tendency to reverse engineer our biblical understanding. We start with our uh, political preferences, or we start with our employment preferences, or we start with our cultural preferences, and then we work our way backwards and make the Bible say things that it doesn't really say. What we're supposed to do is start over here as Christians with the things that the scriptures have to say to us about the totality of life and work our way through that to get over here to our attitude towards our families, our employment, our place in the public square. Christians are called 
always with an eye and ear toward God, to be model citizens. And so to unpack that a little bit this morning, we're going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to read those passages, that passage to you. The words will be up on the screen. If you have the Bible on your phone or an iPad, you're free to follow along there as well. If you're at home and you're watching along on our live stream, to the right of the picture is a Bible translation. You can look there and follow along as well. Here's what Peter said to people living under an emperor like Nero. Here's what he said. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, in this passage, Peter provides some general principles in our relationship with government. The first one is this, is in verse 13. He uses the word submit. Submission is the general characteristic of public morality. It's what sustains the possibility of peaceful living. This word is derived from a military term in the original language of the Bible, which means to rank under. It means to defer. You see, submission is not demanded by people. For Christians, it's given in response to God's command. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a bit. He also says, Peter says, that we as Christians are called to be people who do good. Verse 15, by doing good, you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Do good. I don't know how many times now that I've said this, I've lost track. You probably are keeping score. But back when I was in the military, I was on a course with a, with a, with a United States Marine. And this Marine's job, he was part of a cadre of people from the Marines who were engaged in nation building. And so what they did was they went to poor countries and they helped structure government and basic services. And we got to talking a little bit about his job. And here's what he an interesting thing he said to me. He said, whenever they got to one of these dirt poor countries, he said they always found that a Christian relief organization had beat them there by doing good. So we're not called just to, excuse me, obey the law, but to live as examples of good citizenship. Verse 16, we're called to live freely as servants. Now this freedom is not freedom to do whatever the heck it is we think we want to do or whatever the heck it is we think we can do. This freedom is freedom from sin. It's freedom to serve one another. And it's not a product of personal effort. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, As Christians, Christ has set us free. Nor is it acting out of our every whim or desire. We are free. You and I, if we believe in Jesus, we are free to be joyful servants of Christ. That's our freedom. That's the freedom that we revel in. That's the freedom that we celebrate as believers in Jesus. You perhaps have heard news stories from time to time about people who were representatives of other countries and are here in the United States representing that country. When they do that, they acquire a thing called diplomatic immunity. 
which essentially means they can do some stuff and get away with it. We can eject them from the country, but we can't necessarily prosecute them for their crimes. Diplomatic immunity does not apply to Christians. We're here to do good. And that freedom to serve involves, verse 17, respecting other people. This word, by the way, is a verb. You've picked up on that because I know you are all grammar aficionados. This is a verb, but in the original language of the Bible, this is a particular kind of verb tense. It's point action. It's a decisive commitment to living a life of respect. And these other ideas flow from respect as kind of ongoing aspects of life. Love the family of God. Fear God. Not the people. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, I've been doing this pastoring thing for, I think, if I counted right the other day, eight presidential elections. I've been around and voted in more than eight, but I've been pastoring for about eight of them. You can do the math. And I can remember saying of a former president, after a while, I can remember saying of him, I cannot stand the sound of his voice. And when I said that, I was being disrespectful. How do we honor those who, who are in leadership over us? How do we respect them? Our primary tool for respect is in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We are called to pray for all those in authority. We should A, know their names, and we should B, pray for them. I don't care if we agree with them or not. We are called to be people who pray for those in authority. But it's also important not just to know these principles, but to understand why we follow these principles. And the first and foremost reason is in verse 13. Peter says, for the Lord's sake. Government in a sinful fallen world is God's idea, verse 15. It's his plan to try to sustain some type of order. And these words in verse 15, at least in the NIV, New International Version, every human authority, literally human institution, these are things, this is a word that's used frequently in the New Testament, to describe God's creative activity. This is stuff that God has done, establishing these authorities. We saw seeds of this way back in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Do you remember when we were in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12? Do you remember that we were in the Gospel of Mark? Do you remember that it has at least 12 chapters? Jesus said this, remember he was being quizzed by the leaders of the, the religious leaders of his time and they were going to test him with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus says, hand me one of those coins, let me see that thing. And they gave him one of the coins and he holds it up, object lesson, like he's talking to a bunch of kindergartners. He says, whose picture's here? Whose inscription's on the coin? And they go, um, well, well, well it's Caesar's. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Jesus accepts the fact that in a fallen world, there is a role for government. The Apostle Paul also goes at this in Romans chapter 13, 
verses 1 through 7. I won't read them to you this morning. You can go look them up later. And we follow this principle. We follow this principle because God has handed over judicial authority to government. The word governors implies judicial authority. In this dual function, did you notice it? Both punishment and reward. If we disobey, we should expect to pay consequences for disobeying. And, though, if we do follow these principles, we can expect, verse 15, that we can have a positive impact on those around us. We can be what we would call in ancient Bible terms, we can be a good witness. Did you see what Peter said? By doing good, you can silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. What I want you to see this morning, what I want us to see is that Peter is emphasizing our capacity in our conduct as citizens to have potential to influence those around us. Not just in some kind of grand, make everybody feel nice kind of way, but he wants us to see that you and I, as believers in Jesus, if we, if we do this good that he has called us to do, we have the capacity to move people in God's direction. And Peter says that, that, that doing good has this potential to silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. Silence. This is another word, by the way, for muzzle. It's the same word that in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, you remember we were in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, right? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the back of the boat and he says, silence to the storm. He muzzles it. But, 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 there is an all-important caveat here. Submission to government is always subordinate to obeying God. Submission to government is always subordinate to obeying God. God establishes the authorities, and we submit to it as long as we are not compelled to violate God's will. Submission to humans is always subordinate to obeying God. Submission to human authority is a secondary and limited obligation. Ranking behind stronger words in the Bible are addressed to Christians like, obey God. This is what I'm going to call this morning the Acts chapter 4, verse 19 principle that Pastor Loris read to us a little while ago. It's not just those folks, Peter in that particular episode, who uh, uh, was commended for disobeying uh, human authorities, but it's peppered all through the Bible. Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. Pharaoh had commanded, com- commanded that all newborn baby boys were to be killed. The midwives took little baby Moses and they put him in a basket of reeds and they sent him down the Nile River to preserve his life. In the book of Daniel, chapter 3, the three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the image of the king. Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Daniel himself refuses to stop praying to God and to God alone. 
And in Acts chapter 4, Peter refuses to stop talking about Jesus. They can't shut the boy up. He's always talking about Jesus. But here's the rub. Here's the thing that I don't think we always get. Here's the thing. We, in our disobedience to human rules that make us violate God's rules, in our disobedience to those rules, we have to be willing to pay the penalty that the authorities have instituted for that disobedience. Again, Daniel, lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, fiery furnace. Peter, jail time. Do you see what happened here? Do you see what happened here? They understood that they had a higher authority to which they owed ultimate allegiance, God. And they obeyed that higher authority. But the human authorities, the human authorities were within their realm of permissiveness to punish them. Hmm. So, that's great, Howard. I really appreciate that, Pastor Howard. That's a really interesting take on those ancient times that were over 2,000 years ago. But how does this work out in a democracy? You and I, we don't live under a fiddler from Rome. Most recently, we have lived under the government of a community worker from Chicago and a real estate entrepreneur and reality TV star from New York. And who knows after November 3rd, the ultimate authority, human authority, we're going to live under. But so the principles in this passage have not changed. But the application and the extent to which you and I can exercise freedom, those things have changed. We live in a democracy. We have stewardship responsibilities and privileges that first century Christians never even dreamed of having. If you were to tell a time transport one of Peter's traveling buddies to this year and look, have him look around and see the level of freedom that we enjoy in the United States of America, he would say, you have got to be kidding me. Really? Really. This story may be apocryphal, but nonetheless, um, Benjamin Franklin was theoretically quizzed after the Constitutional Convention. The lady walked up to Franklin and said, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? A republic replied, Franklin, if you can keep it. The first three words of the Constitution, you know those first three words, right? We the people. Sovereignty in the United States is twice derived. First, from God who ordains government, and secondly, from the people who consent to be governed. National sovereignty, our democracy, is a gift from God. He has given it to us as a gift from him. He has made us the stewards of this thing. And how does that work out? Well, Jonathan Edwards was a theologian back in the 1700s. During the era of history in the United States that we call the Great Awakening, he pastored a congregational church in Northampton, Massachusetts. He unpacked several principles that he thought applied to this situation in which we find ourselves, this situation of being citizens in a nation where the government governs by the consent of the people. He unpacked several principles, so here they are. Number one, 
You and I, we have a responsibility to break beyond the walls of the church. We are not to be isolated in a little cocoon of comfortness, comfort inside the little four walls of the church and just be happy-go-lucky, you know, loving each other kind of people and just staying here in our little bubble. That is not it. He said we have a responsibility to be in the public square, not partisan, but engaged in the political conversation. He said that we have a responsibility to support our government, but to be ready with respect to criticize policies of that government when the occasion demands. The third thing he says is we ought to remember that politics are relatively unimportant in the long run. I don't know if you are of this mindset, but I am really, 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 really tired of hearing the words, in the latest poll, they're not doing many tracking polls in heaven. They are tracking two things. People committing to relationship with Jesus and the depth of the maturing of that relationship along the way. That's the tracking poll they're doing in heaven. One person commits to life in Christ is a new flash in heaven. Jesus talked about this in Luke 15. He said, man, they break out the party when somebody says yes to Jesus. Because that's the big deal. That's the important thing from a Christian point of view. The fourth thing that Edwards said is that we should be careful about kind of a heady, what he called national pride, that makes us forget that in Christ, we belong to a new country. Verse 9. Holy nation. You and I. We are citizens of an entity to which we are called to have a higher allegiance. The kingdom of God. And that connection connects us with believers around the world with whom we share this citizenship in heaven. Believers from throughout the ages, believers in parts of the world that you wouldn't go to if they paid you to go there. There are people that believe in Jesus who are our sisters and brothers in Christ, who are our fellow citizens in the kingdom. Two stories. One time, I was coming back from Germany to the United States, by courtesy of your taxpayer dollars, and I appreciated that very much, coming back from Germany to the United States, and I got to customs, and because of the job I had, I had been directed to travel in civilian clothes at that time. So uh, I got to customs, and the customs officer said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm in the Air Force. And she said, welcome home. Second story. I traveled to San Antonio, Texas one time to Lackland Air Force Base from Colorado where I was living and pastoring after I had been out of active duty in the Air Force. And just for ha-has, I attended a basic military training graduation parade. I had been a commander of a basic military training squadron. I had marched in those parades. And as the troops came by and the flag of my old squadron came by, I got to tell you, I got a little lump in my throat as the troops passed in review. And what I want you to hear is this. I am as proud of our country as the next guy. I took an oath to put myself in harm's way to defend that country if I had to. But 
But we need to remember that the United States is not synonymous with the kingdom of God. And it is to the kingdom of God that we owe primary allegiance. The first century Christians that Peter was writing to, they took big hits from the government because they would not say, Caesar is Lord. They would only say because they knew that Jesus is Lord. And the fifth thing that ever says is that we have to be exercise our stewardship responsibilities carefully. We have to vote, not early and often, but you can vote early. We have to find candidates who have character, who promote truth, who have a sense of compassion and mercy, are competent. We're not calling a pastor. We're electing a president and senators and representatives. So we should be looking for candidates that we can identify who possess the requisite ability to do the job and who we discern as best we can come closest to biblical norms. Martin Luther, 16th century theologian, architect of the the Great Reformation, he said this. He said, I'll vote for a Mohammedan who is competent. By that he meant Muslim. And I'm not denigrating Muslims in any way, shape, or form here. But do you see how outrageously outside the box his comment was in his day and time? And in his context? And Edward says, and I think he's right, if God calls you to be a candidate, then you should be. Lauren Wade was a little girl in the United Kingdom. She was just two years old, two years and five months old when she was found, emaciated, malnourished, and unresponsive on the couch of her apartment in Glasgow, Scotland. The toddler didn't have any obvious signs of injury or natural disease, but she was filthy. Severe head lice infestation that had spread to her face and her chest. She was thin with her Shoulders, ribs, and backbone being very visible, the article said, through her skin. The palms of her hands showed black dirt in the creases, and the soles of her feet were also black and dirty. A toxicology report after her death in March of 2015 showed the presence of alcohol and diazepam in her body. Her baby teeth, her baby teeth were showing signs of decay. And there was evidence of severe nutritional deficiencies. What happened to baby Lauren was neglect. Criminal neglect. And here's a thing. Democracy dies of neglect if it is not nourished by the participation of believers in Jesus. Now, as I said before, I've been a pastor for about eight presidential elections. And I've said the same thing every time. If Peter could call believers to live as model citizens under a mad fiddler from Rome, we can commit to live as model citizens under whomever is sworn in in January. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word from your word. 
that admonishes us about our responsibilities as stewards of this national experiment in which you have placed, which you have placed in our hands. Lord, as we, as we exercise this stewardship, call us to be mindful of biblical first principles. Call us out of the tendency to get caught up in the political rhetoric and back to the place where by doing good, we can silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. Lord, we should be known as the, the do-gooders, not in the trite sense of that expression, but in the, in the reality of living out lives for Jesus. Not in just election season, Lord, but in every season. Call us to that place, Father, we are, where we are joyful servants of each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. come to the time in our service where we pray for um, not only our